If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 507. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. Always free to enroll. You get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. Also, you can purchase a class there. Keeps this podcast free of charge. Go to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on that support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. Get a book plate, an autograph on one of my books. I've got a lot of those. You can also click on the shop tab. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. Go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, learntruehistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. Another great educational website. Lots of great ways to support the show. But as always, share it around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Let them know that you're interested in the original Constitution, that you're interested in what I call American traditionalism. These are the things that we have to lead a renaissance in doing. And I say that because of today's topic. Now, if you've been following me for just, I mean, a short amount of time, even just this year, you know that earlier this year I published a piece in Chronicles magazine that was highly critical of the 1776 Commission report. And Michael Anton at uh, American Greatness and also a Claremont, Claremont, or Claremont Hillsdale, he calls himself, took issue with this. I wrote about 2,000 words. He responded with, I think, about 6,000. And so I responded again in, uh, in Chronicles, going over some of the points that he made. And he responded with another, I think, 6,000 words. I had about 2,600. He had 6,000. So in, in a matter of two pieces, I've written 4,600 words, and he's written between ten and 12,000 words, right? So space matters. I don't have the type of space that he had because he is essentially the, the publisher of American greatness. And so... Um, he, he can do whatever he wants with it. He can write as much as he wants. Paul Gottfried from, from uh, Chronicles did uh, write a piece that American Greatness published defending my piece and defending my positions to an extent. Uh, and I was, I was uh, you know, thankful for that. I could still write a rejoinder, and I may still. I don't know if I want to go tit for tat. But at the core, and I, what I've thought about doing is examining the core of this particular argument because the Claremont-Hillsdale people are so full of it that I, I don't even know, they, they can't even see it. They're so deep in it, they can't even see above the brown line, so to speak. And I point to a podcast that a listener sent me. This is a listener-generated episode. A listener sent me, said, hey, look, um, I heard this. This comes from the Hillsdale podcast with Hugh Hewitt, who, uh, who I, I believe is Hugh Hewitt who does this, and they have these interviews. The title of the podcast that they sent me is the Hillsdale Dialogues Podcast. It's from July 23rd of this year, 2021. 
American Heritage, the tragedy of John C. Calhoun. So the Hillsdale Dialogues podcast. Uh, And a lot of conservatives listen to this thing. This is the problem. A lot of conservatives listen to Hillsdale College. And frankly, they shouldn't. Um, they, They shouldn't. This is... The, the way that they're doing this and the way they're setting up Calhoun is dangerous for American conservatism. Because if you lose Calhoun in American conservatism, you lose American conservatism. And the problem with all of it, I mean, we can have, we can have a dispute about whether Calhoun was right about uh, the concurrent majority. Uh, but I, I think these people get all of this wrong. I mean, this is the real issue with Calhoun. They don't really understand Calhoun and the historical mistakes in from Larry Arn in the first four minutes are laughable. They're laughable. This is one of the major issues I have with this. They're laughable. So I want to go through this. The, the listener said, look, I, I don't have the knowledge on Calhoun like you do, so would you please cover this and, and talk about some of the things that are addressed in this? Sure. I mean, I think this is a, a nice way to talk about principles. What are the principles undergirding American conservatism? And not just that. Uh, what is that? And, and if you look at Jefferson, right, and, and of course, Hugh Hewitt brings up Jefferson. Jefferson is the, the lineage, uh, uh, Lincoln's lineage is Jefferson. Well, I would say it's not. I mean, Lincoln did use Jefferson, but uh, because he's supposedly going in line, this is a straight line from Jefferson to Lincoln. And some of the some of the progressive historians would say things like this, um, that Lincoln and Jefferson were you know, would have been tight, they would have agreed on things. I don't think so. I mean, because Lincoln was going against Jefferson's primary political motivator, which was federalism. Lincoln was against that. Lincoln didn't believe in federalism at all. Now, Jefferson made several statements. He said statements in favor of secession, statements against secession. I mean, you can, again, Jefferson is hard to read because you can, you can find in so many things uh, that Jefferson, you can find different examples in Jefferson's writings. And the Hillsdale Claremont people like to point to Jefferson and say, look, the most important line that Jefferson ever had was all men are created equal. That was it. That was the line. Calhoun is against all of that. So let me get into and, and I'm going to tell you that that isn't true, right? So if you go and you actually read Calhoun, which I don't think that most of these people actually have read him carefully. They've read people that have read said things about Calhoun, but they don't really read Calhoun. And this all goes back to Harry Jaffa. Harry Jaffa is a disaster for American conservatism. And I think essentially what happened... You get to 1963, and you have George Wallace give his inaugural address for the governor, and governor of Alabama. And, of course, he makes his very strong statements in favor of segregation. And so he also said a lot of other things in that particular speech that would be attached to conservatism, right? So from that point forward, the left is able to portray all conservatives as segregationists, racists, whatever it is. So what Harry Jaffa tried to do and you also had this going back to 1954 with Brown v. Board of Education, but this is just a few years later. So what Harry Jaffa tried to do with his essay on cons- uh, equality as conservative is take that issue off the table. He tried to say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that off the table. It's only going to be about uh, 
uh, take your pick of some conservative. We're going we're gonna to get the race issue off the table because conservatives really are interested in equality. This is one of the things that the Claremont people, the Hillsdale people, this is what they firmly believe. It's at their core. Equality and the proposition nation are conservative. But what Mel Bradford and others, and I pointed out, that's not conservative at all. In fact, what you really are at that point is, as another uh, colleague of mine said, in and in a, we were talking about this, a mid-19th century liberal. This is what you are. The conservatives, and I'm going to get into some of the things, the conservatives of the 19th century and the 18th century, and even Jefferson himself rejected this type of interpretation of American history. Jefferson's last letter that he ever wrote, uh, which, um, I mean, it's amazing because he was asked to go speak at a July 4th celebration in 1826. He wrote this in June of 1826. He dies on July 4th, 1826, saying he wishes he could, but of course he's in his 80s at that point. He's too too tired, too old. He doesn't want to go do it. He would love to have been there, but he mentions, he doesn't really mention anything about all men are created equal in this particular letter, but he talks about how important it was for liberty and for self-determination, the American principles of these things, right? That's what Jefferson really meant with the Declaration. So this particular podcast starts off with Hugh Hewitt saying that uh, of all the people out there, uh, and uh, all the people that we, we have, uh, John C. Calhoun is just evil. He actually uses that word. John C. Calhoun is evil. And at one point he says, I'm, I'm not for taking statues down or changing names, but John C. Calhoun needs to be removed from everything in America. Hugh Hewitt is a moron. There's no other way to describe it. That type of stupidity? You might as well just go hang out with your Antifa fellows. No, 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 no. I don't agree with taking things down, but John C. Calhoun is okay, so uh, you've made a case for John. Well, can I make a case for somebody else? Yeah, I mean, let's start making cases for people. We just t- But see, the problem with these Claremont Hillsdale people is that, well, they'll, they'll give on some, but then you got to stop here. This is the whole position. We'll give on this equality thing, but it has to stop here. Well, why do they get to decide when it stops? That's not how it works. You either say, no, shut up, we're not taking one statue down, or you have to say, we can have a conversation about all of them, and they all should come down. Because that's what the left is going to do. That's what they always do. You have to tell them, be the adult and say, no, shut up, or... And just and, and make them shut up, or you have to say, okay, we'll have a conversation about everything. The conversation has to be there uh, when it comes to these kind of things, right? So Hugh Hewitt is opening the door to cancel culture. He's fine with cancel culture as long as it cancels people that he thinks are evil. Well, why can't a leftist say that? Well, I'm fine with cancel culture too, as long as it cancels the people I think are evil but keeps the other ones up. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, what about what about the left says, well, hey, I think Abraham Lincoln is evil. Oh, Hewitt, no, 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 no. He's not evil. He's not evil at all. Well, I mean, what about these things he said about race? Well, he didn't really believe that. He didn't? Are you sure? Are you sure he didn't believe that? Because I think he did believe that. In fact, I mean, it's pretty clear he believed those things. So he says he's evil. So then he has Larry Arn, who, of course, is the president of Hillsdale College, on in the interview. And Larry Arn's a little more diplomatic about Calhoun. He says, well, you know, and, and, and Hugh Hewitt's position, he said, essentially, um, that the reason he's evil is because um, he, was, he represented a turning point 
a, a bad turning point. I'm trying to look at, I wrote down a note here, let me see. Uh, he took America off course, right? That's, that's, the, that's the message that he says. Calhoun took America off course. And, of course, what he's talking about there is the positive good speech that Calhoun made in the 1830s. That took America off course. So then what all of these Hillsdale Claremont people try to do, and this is, this is from Harry Jaffa, okay? This is why Harry Jaffa is such a problem, because Harry Jaffa, again, uh, really didn't know what he was talking about in this case. But he, he's making stuff up with Calhoun. So what he did is he says, okay, Larion says, look, here's the problem with Calhoun. Calhoun was a Hagelin, and this is the new position, well, I'm not say new, but this is what the, the neocons, the Straussians, this is what all people say, Calhoun was a Hagelin. And because he's a Hagelin, uh, he is, you had, Hag, you had Hegel who uh, essentially, and, and Arne describes this in the podcast, but he says, look, this is where we get the modern left from. It's this new German historicism, it's this idea of systems, and um, and that, that helps us lead to ideology. And so what we get is the left from Hegel. Now, there is some truth to that, right? And there were some Southerners that said Hegel pretty good. You know, these Southerners were, they were on the left, okay? They were, in fact, the most, and, and of course, then what Arne does is says, well, Hegel produces the pro-slavery ideology of the South. What's really funny about that is if you go back and you read Eugene Genovese's Mind of the Masterclass, which is the, the book, on or, or Michael O'Brien, these books are the books on, or the, the, these, these uh, Michael O'Brien's two-volume series, but they are the books on uh, Southern intellectual thought in the antebellum period. They bring up Hegel. Genovese brings up Hegel. And he says, well, yeah, I mean, there are Southerners who liked Hegel. They, they had some pretty glowing things to say about him. You know who didn't? The pro-slavery theologians like Thornwell and Dabney. More Thornwell than anything. Thornwell ripped Hegel apart. So if Hegel was at the root of Southern pro-slavery ideology, then certainly someone like Thornwell would have said, yeah, this guy's really, this guy's really important. We, we subscribe to Hegel, but he didn't. And then what Larry Arn tries to do, which is laughable. At, I mean, it's the, fall the logical fallacy is just so stupid. He says, well, you know what? Calhoun went to Yale. And then after he went to Yale, he met, uh, this is really funny, he met this guy named Francis Liebing. Now, I'm scratching my head. Who the heck is Francis Liebing? I've never even heard of this guy before. Well, you know why I've never heard of him before? Because his name wasn't Francis Liebing. It was Francis Lieber. Lieber. Not Liebing. Larry Arn doesn't even know the guy's name. He says, well, he's a kind of a smart guy. You know, he's, a, he's good friends with Hegel. And uh, so by default, because Calhoun knew Lieber, or who Aaron, Aaron calls Liebing, knew Liebing, which is just so funny to me, then he's a Hagelin. So because he knows a guy that knows a guy, Calhoun becomes a Hagelin. And because Lieber, who was in South Carolina for a for a number of years at South Carolina College, and in fact wrote Calhoun at one point saying that he really liked Calhoun's speech on Oregon, which I'll get into in a minute. Because uh, Calhoun knew Lieber, then he was a Hagelin. And because Lieber wrote after Calhoun had been dead nearly 20 years, actually, I, I take that back, 30 years, 
because Lieber said at one point, well, Calhoun told me this, what he thought about slavery. He said that slavery resolved um, some of the, all the problems with communism. It, kept, it took out the bad parts but kept in the good parts. That this is what Calhoun really thought. Now, do we know Calhoun actually said this? It was a conversation that Lieber was relaying probably about 40 years after it happened. So could Calhoun have said it? Yeah, possibly. Or was Lieber, who in fact was anti-slavery and pro-union, this is what Larry Arn leaves out of all this, Lieber was a leftist in the 19th century. Okay, Lieber was not a conservative. And Lieber, I mean, John Quincy Adams liked Lieber. Uh, I mean, that's, he did. Uh, even as president, came and toured his, uh, his uh, pool that he had built. Uh, so th- this, is, this is interesting. Lieber was a leftist and a pro-union guy. In fact, he warned against secession in 1851. His son served in the Confederacy and was killed. But Lieber himself was not in favor of secession. He was anti-slavery. He wrote the Lieber Code, which uh, Oren points out, wow, that becomes a Geneva Convention. Yeah, the Lieber Code and, and the Code of Conduct and War, I mean, this does, Lincoln violated that over. So we, we have, in the, in the Union Army did, we have this, this guy that Arn portrays as someone who he wasn't. That somehow Lieber is influencing Calhoun. There's nothing to that. Lieber didn't have any influence over Calhoun at all. In fact, you can read biography after biography, and you won't really find that many references to Lieber with Calhoun ever because he really wasn't that important in Calhoun's life. What did influence Calhoun? Well, how about the founding generation? The other claim that Larry Arn makes, which is just absolutely preposterous, is that Calhoun didn't care about the Declaration. This is the other thing that all these Hillsdale, Claremont people are running around saying now, that Calhoun did not care about the Declaration. Calhoun was not interested in the Declaration. Calhoun thought the Declaration was a bad document, etc., etc., etc. That's not what Calhoun actually said. In fact, if you go back and read Calhoun, he talks a lot about the Declaration. So what they're pointing out more than anything else is Calhoun's position on the Declaration when it comes to that line, all men are created equal. And so Calhoun did discuss that in a speech at length at one point. And his point was was pretty well made in that particular speech. But where he did talk about the Declaration, and he did think it was a founding document, was in relation to the powers of government. He mentioned it quite a bit. In fact, he mentioned it in his discourse several times, which, of course, is a discussion of American principles of government. Now, in the discourse, he says, look, here's what happened. The Declaration created these free and independent states. But he's saying within that, though, you had the people. What they really did was create these political societies of people there was already a, a society there. South Carolina was already a society. New York was already a society. The people then, if we have representative government, the people are sovereign, not the states. Calhoun said this, but they were already divided into political communities. There was no one American people. There were, um, there were sovereign American people in political societies that are states. And Jefferson made this clear. We have free and independent states. 
Calhoun was certainly in favor of the Declaration. He thought that was the basis of American government and the American principle of self-determination. He made this point over and over again. So these people in the Claremont Hillsdale School that run around saying, Calhoun didn't believe in the Declaration. And this is what, this is what Michael Anton tried to do to me. Because, of course, I said, well, I mean, they put the heart of American government at the Declaration. Uh, that, because of editing, was, was chopped and not worded correctly. And I clarified that in the next essay. Anton still can't seem to get it. I don't know if it's because he's dense. I, I have no idea. But he can't seem to get it. I've never said the Declaration wasn't important. What I said was, and what I meant was, when I said that, Lincoln's interpretation of the Declaration was a distortion of what it was, and so was this 19th century version that Calhoun was attacking in at least one speech, and of course, uh, overall, when the when the point was made that we have this proposition nation. Now, Calhoun died in 1850, long before Lincoln made the Gettysburg Address, but that principle was already there around 1850, in the 1840s. Uh, it was being made, and of course, Lincoln would capitalize that on about 20 years later. But Calhoun loved the Larry Arnn says Calhoun didn't really like the Declaration. It was all history that was his guide. History was his guide. Well, that's what Patrick Henry said his guide was. Was he a Hagelin too? I mean, this is what the founding generation said. This is why they're, they're, they're going to war, because they're worried about the English liberties and traditions. This is what they're going to war over. Jefferson said as much in his summer review in 1774. These are the things that the founding generation said. So does that mean they're all Haglins? This is just so stupid. What these people want to do is make ideology, a proposition nation, the core of the American founding. It's not. It's not. It's real, tangible things. Now again, Arn and all the Straussians and all the neocons who build off the Straussians are essentially saying what we have here, what we have here is a proposition nation and Calhoun rejected that. Calhoun then is anti-American. He's un-American. This is what the left likes. Now, what they do say is that Calhoun's, and what Arndt makes more, and I will say, he's, he's a little diplomatic. He says, well, Calhoun wasn't alone in this, but he was the conduit for all of these things. But what they're trying to say is that his position on slavery was Hagelin, where you know you have uh, this order and this system, and it's, it's a beneficial system, and it becomes an ideology, in other words. But Calhoun didn't even come up with this himself. This is what people like John Saffin were saying in 1701 in Massachusetts. Theologians who were resisting Hegel were saying some of these things, right? It's a beneficial system for, for uh, white Southerners, for black Southerners, whatever it is. It's a beneficial system, right? So Calhoun was not alone in this. He wasn't. I mean, it was, it was the most uh, um, uninteresting part of his entire philosophy, it wasn't even unique. The unique part is how we thought American government was developing and what written constitutions were supposed to do and how they weren't working. And so this is why he came up with this concurrent majority. And this is something else that Arn points to and says, well, you know, Calhoun and concurrent, and they get into nullification in this particular podcast, which I find funny, because again, we can go along with it with Madison's view of nullification. But once we get to Calhoun, we have to stop there. Because Madison was actually against this, the way that Calhoun interpreted nullification. Uh, and Jefferson was less judicious. We can't really listen to Jefferson's position. we got to listen to Madison's position on nullification. 
Uh, it was just supposed to stop. It was supposed to be a protest, and that was about it. It wasn't supposed to go anywhere or do anything. Calhoun's point was, well, what's the point? What, what, I mean, why do we have the 10th Amendment if there's no teeth in it? So how do we put teeth in it? Well, you got to have a, a mechanism to resist unconstitutional federal laws. And this, to him, was the concurrent majority, which, by the way, is based on his understanding of what a written constitution is supposed to do, which is completely American. To have this written constitution, to have written constitutions which are supposed to limit power, that's the whole point. You write it down, you're limited by those things that are listed. And if you don't do that, well, then you've... I mean, what's the point of having a written constitution? Might as well go back to an unwritten constitution. And he says, look, once you get this thing, well, both sides are going to clamor over power. You have to have some mechanism. You have the numerical majority, and then you have the concurrent majority. The numerical majority, or you know, this idea of just a 50 plus 1, it's not really a majority. The concurrent majority is the real majority. And so what should happen is that concurrent majority should have more power. But... Calhoun did talk about the uh, about the about this idea of equality in a speech on the Oregon question in the 1840s, and he was quite clear in that particular speech that he did not think that the way that the abolitionists in the 1840s were interpreting this idea of all men are created equal fit with the way the founding generation interpreted that particular part of the Declaration. In fact, he said. This didn't form anything of the United States. This wasn't even this wasn't even part of the formation of our government. And he brings up Locke, and he brings up these ideas of nature and society and where you're equal, because Locke said all men are free in a state of nature, and Jefferson truncated that. Mason truncated that. But everyone knew what they were talking about. There's men, there's freedom in society, there's freedom in political society. You have all these different caveats to this. And all Calhoun was saying is, well, in nature, sure, you could say that in nature, because there's nothing restraining anybody. People are free and equal in nature, but once you add society and government in, well, that becomes a whole different monster, right? So it's not that he's against this idea of equality in nature. He's against it when you get to government and society and how that's going to work, how things are restrained. But he was right in that he said, when Jefferson said that, the founding generation didn't didn't base government on that. They didn't. And the examples are over. They're over and over. You can find them all over the place. And the one that made me laugh the most, and where Anton tried to wiggle around this, when I said, well, look, he, he brought up Connecticut, which incorporated this line of equality in their state constitution. In the very same year, in the very same year, they denied blacks the ability to vote in that state. In the very same year, they they incorporate they they drafted their constitution, and then of course had that as part of the constitution. They passed legislation denying blacks the right to vote. So if they believed that all men were equal, then blacks should have been able to vote in Connecticut, right? Well, this is what Calhoun is saying. They really didn't believe it. It wasn't a principle. It was just kind of yeah, free and equal in state of nature. I mean, okay, we, we're we're that. But once you enter political society, it's a whole different ball game. And this is true. The record is true. When it comes to this, this is where these people are so far off base, they can't get out of their own way. So when you look at this particular situation, and you look at how the, the Straussians, the neocons, are distorting Calhoun. They're distorting the historical record for ideology. 
They're distorting it for ideology, and I think that is the real problem with these people. And they get little things wrong like a guy's name. They don't know his name. Liebing? Who the heck is Francis Liebing? And, I mean, aren't well, the guy was a brilliant guy, but he was kind of, I mean, I'm not saying he's crazy, but he was, the guy was on the left. And you like what he said about Calhoun. Uh, I mean, this, this is the funniest part of all of this. He's a union guy. <laughs> he sides with the union. He's on your side. I mean, you, you, you guys, the Straussians, the neo you hate the Confederacy. He's on your side. That's your guy. That's not Calhoun's guy. Calhoun wasn't influenced by Lieber at all. Calhoun was influenced by what he understood to be the real founding of America. Real American conservatism. That's the key to all of this and why I think all this stuff is so important that we talk about it on a regular basis. Why we have these, these podcasts on principles and where the Straussians should not be listened to. Nobody should tune in to the Hillsdale podcast. Nobody should tune in to the Hillsdale podcast. The only reason I'm talking about it is because I was sent it and, hey, I mean, this stuff. But, you know, Hillsdale's got a lot of money. And they do a lot of advertising. So the problem is, of course, this is where this this becomes a cancer. American greatness is visited quite often. The Trump administration hadn't invited these people in, and so they become a cancer. They start they start distorting American conservatism and what it really is and what it means. It's not what the Hillsdale Claremont School will tell you it is in any way, and that's the real danger of all of this. So, uh. I mean, I appreciate the listener sending this on. It's just another example of the stupidity of these people, and it needs to be discussed. And I hope that I cleared it up for you, that I did an okay job with this and getting into some of these things. Uh, We can do more with this as we go forward. In fact, I could even talk about some of Calhoun's speeches and do some of that. Uh, But for right now, we're going to leave it here, and I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.